Attention, attention please, stand by for another episode of When Humanists Attack. Hi, this is Chris West West, the Pontificator, with another episode of When Humanists Attack. Today, we're going to be talking about the 10 humanist commitments. These are 10 commitments that were put together by the American Humanist Association, and we just wanted to go over them so that people understand where the humanist movement is coming from. So the first one on the list is critical thinking. I will practice good judgment by asking questions and thinking for myself. But there's also a bit of skepticism in there, critical thinking with skepticism. The second is ethical development. I will always focus on becoming a better person. Obviously, this is not something that is only restricted to humanism, but it's an important one to put in there. Peace and social justice is the next one. I will help solve problems and handle disagreements in ways that are fair to everyone. So baking some fairness into the whole thing. Service and participation. I will help my community in ways that let me get to know the people I'm helping. In other words, not just donating at the button. Although if you want to donate to When Humanists Attack, please feel free. We'll accept any donations. The next one is altruism. I will help others in need without hoping for rewards. That's another one that a lot of religions claim to have as well and actually do implement, but humanists believe in that. Humility. I will be aware of my strengths and weaknesses and appreciate the strengths and weaknesses of others. Environmentalism. I will take care of the earth and the life on it. Global awareness. I will be a good neighbor to the people who share the earth with me and help make the world a better place for everyone. Gives me warm fuzzies. We're down to number nine. That's responsibility. I will be a good person even when no one is looking and own the consequences of my actions. And finally, to round off the 10, we have empathy. I will consider other people's thoughts and feelings and experiences. So we have 10 commitments, 10 fingers, 10 commandments. This is a reflection of that. Easy to remember and pretty much hard to argue against these 10 commitments. When I first read them, I was like, this is something I can get behind. There's not one of those that I disagree with. I don't think that we here at When Humanists Attack disagree with any of those. Looking at the list here, it's, it's in a wheel or a circle there. It's a non-hierarchical arrangement. Uh, what we've been talking about, though, and have come to an agreement with is that bless their hearts, they're missing two commitments that we would like to add to the list as qualities that we are looking to actively cultivate in ourselves and also to make active in the physical, real world that we live in. The only thing that I disagree with the, uh, uh, in the, this list of 10, and I'm so grateful that we are humanists and we can take our values as living, breathing entities that do change over time. So no, we're not talking about a schism. We're not going to be condemning anybody. We can have 10 or 12 commitments in our list and everybody can get along fine, which I'd say right off the bat is one of the improvements of 
non-revealed knowledge being the basis of your ethical system because you can change things as you learn new things. What, pray tell, would these two missing commitments be? There are two more commitments that we need to make this wheel, this circle of commitments, work for us. And those two commitments are communication skills, uh, because anything that has to do with other human beings will work a lot better if you go about it with well-honed communication skills. And last, but certainly not least, is humor. It is an ongoing source of hilarity for me that humor is left out almost universally as a virtue in all of these value systems. Humor, humor is like distilled perspective. Humor is the great weapon against any tyranny. Tyrants, <laughs> tyrants probably fear laughter more than they fear guns because somebody you're laughing at, well, you know, they don't have you beat. Anything that you cannot laugh at has you beat. And I'm talking about any terrible thing that's ever happened to you or the people you love or in the world. And what I'm saying here is you don't laugh at these things all the time, but you have to recognize the humor in the situation at least part of the time. And so I agree completely that the 10 commitments as they were offered in the American Humanist Association, 10 commitments was lacking something. And I'm a big fan of both of these additions and hope that we can get away from this DECA thing and get into a duo DECA. <laughs> and uh, I'm all for being uh, funny and using humor. I think that humor ties in perfectly with humility because if we can't laugh at ourselves, if we can't lampoon the things that we hold dearest, then what right do we have to lampoon the things that we're critical of? What of these are you working on to make part of your behavior and how? I've actually taken the next three topics that we've decided to talk about today uh, for this show and kind of cataloged the 12 commitments, uh, which ones apply to that particular one. Um, I'm personally hmm. having a lot of uh, difficulty dealing um, not with mm. humility overall, but with my ability to uh, listen to other people. So critical or, or communication skills with the compassionate listening is a, a real hard one for me and uh, people that I know. We uh, often jump in and keep talking or start talking once before someone has finished their, their thought. And we interpret what they're saying in the worst possible light. We're up to 12 for uh, when humanists attack and bless us and save us. The ethics lab has two more that we've agreed on the meta level of consciousness and uh, mindfulness. I'm working very hard on communication skills like you, Chris. I have definitely been happy to follow your example there and get more involved in the Socratic method and the street epistemology 
skills. And also, well, the, the, you know, as I'm finding, critical thinking is wrapped right up in there. You're, you're not going to use those skills without a heavy dose of critical thinking. This is a rich source of writing and concepts for me to get into, to be able to give people a working system for them to approach their lives with that isn't this system based on revealed knowledge that's unchangeable and always right in every permutation. Uh, God help us all. All of us are looking at the news. We're looking at what's happening in this country and we're trying to find our place in it. And we're trying to find out how our beliefs, our belief systems interact with these. And one of the things that's been very much in the news and has been talked about a lot is where are we at with policing in America? One of the things that keeps popping up is policing reform. We have a very hard response, which is blue lives matter and lawlessness and Antifa is ruining the, the country. Where are we at in looking at policing in America? In the time since that shooting happened, when the police officer shot seven bullets into a man as he was climbing into his car where his three children of three, six, and eight were sitting in the car, there have already been more murders by police of non-white people. And we also had the, the visual of this 17-year-old militia kid from Illinois who went across the border into Wisconsin and shot protesters and then left. He's being touted as a, uh, a hero. hero by the, uh, the right. Um, and the video that we have of that man shooting someone, getting up and walking past the police without ever being questioned or stopped, where does this fit into the, into the humanist uh, point of view? I look at that and I see straight up, if I look at the 10 commitments, how do the 10 commitments reflect on this? The, the peace and social justice. There is no justice in that view. Uh, anybody who remembers what the Black Panthers were doing in Oakland in the 1960s, going out with guns, watching police officers arrest people with lawyers with them, with the local code book, that stuff was all... Uh, actively fought against by the COINTELPRO co-program, which we didn't even find out about until the 1980s when all that stuff was declassified. We have no idea if there's a COINTELPRO operating right now. We might find out in another 20 years, but what we do know is that there is there are serious peace and justice, social justice issues. It's my responsibility as a member of the society, not only to have an opinion about this, but to stand up and say something in support of what we believe in. And from a humanist point of view, it's straightforward. This, it, the, the police uh, brutality, the, the extrajudicial murdering of, uh, and shooting of African-American and other people of color, uh, members of our community, that goes against humanist values. In 1980, Jimmy Carter passed a law and that mental health law was specifically 
to improve services around chronic mental illness. In 1981, we had a change of president. We got President Reagan. And one of the first things he did was to rescind the uh, Mental Health uh, Systems Act, it was called, with something called the Omnibus Reconciliation Act. Since 1981, there has been a steady decrease and decline in the amount of money that's put into mental health services throughout the country. And one of the things that happened when I was young, I uh, remember very clearly, is that New York State lost a great deal of funding and ended up closing all of their mental health hospitals. However, what they did wasn't to find adequate mental health services for these people afterwards, but was to shut down the hospitals and kick everybody on the street. It's at that point that the police officers who have never been trained to do, you know, sociological work, um, sociologists work on the street are now put in the position of dealing with people with mental illness who do not have the ability to follow, not all of them by any means, but some of them don't have the capacity to follow rules and regulations. So they're breaking laws, small laws, which gets them into the criminal justice system. Once they're in the criminal justice system, they are not able to get access to mental health inside jail. And we've been spiraling out of control since then. And it's just been getting worse with police departments having trouble finding anyone to become a police officer, never mind someone who has training in de-escalating and dealing with mental health. There's a program that was set up in Portland, Oregon, where they took us some of the money that they were going to be putting in the police force and use it to hire sociologists uh, who would go out for certain calls, domestic violence calls, uh, mental health uh, alert calls, and get these people the services they need instead of getting police officers out there whose really only way of dealing with the situation in general is to see that a law was broken and to then arrest that person and get them into the criminal justice system. Add to that the uh, mass incarceration of brown and black people because of the war on drugs, which has completely failed in terms of ending drug use, but has been very successful in terms of filling the prisons with a huge source of very cheap labor and a huge source of clients that uh, the people who provide services for prisons can also make money. It's a double money make. So the prison industrial complex has been booming. That's why we've got uh, more people in jail per capita than, uh, is it anywhere? Or is anywhere, it anywhere but, but China. But China. Yep. Yeah. And it's only because China has been uh, putting all the Uyghurs in those prisons. They have a million Uyghurs in prison. Another point, Vin, that I think is really important to, to bring up is that a lot of states have laws that take away the voting rights of people who have been through oh, yes. a felony I... conviction. There was just a law passed in Florida that was reversing that and it was re-enfranchising people who had had their voting rights removed. So there are a lot of things going into the process 
of creating a pipeline for people of color from elementary school to prisons to not being able to vote and therefore not being able to have a say. The prevalence of for-profit prisons has increased since 1994 when legislation was put and signed by Bill Clinton, uh, tough on crime as a real centrist democratic value. We have to become the change that we want to see. I know that sounds silly, but part of that service and participation and peace and social justice is that we have to get involved and we have to make these changes. Every state has got something. And if you're in your state, then activate and do something, call your representatives, say we want to change the way that we're doing business. There's a big defund the police movement as BLM. And I, I just need to say very clearly, they don't mean get rid of policing. They don't mean that we're not gonna have uh, something that deals with crime because that's gonna keep happening. Crime is a reality, people do crime. But what we need to do is not have a system which is systematically directed at hurting our minority populations, our people of color, our people with disabilities, uh, people, trans people. There's a lot of stuff going on in prisons where trans prisoners are not allowed to be in the populations of the gender that they identify with. That's also a huge social justice point. We need to change the way that we're doing this, and it's not impossible, but it is something that will take effort. We just can't sit at home and hit the donate button. We actually have to get up and go and do the work. So that's a call to you all. Get out there and do the work. Let us know what you've done. Email us at whenhumanistsattack at gmail.com if you have any questions or you have stories about your actions. I listen to what the Black Lives Matter people are saying, and they're not even talking about police corruption, the bribe taking, the stealing, the thievery, civil forfeitures, which is stealing people's property that the police do with the local district attorneys. The culture of silence around all of this crime that the police are committing. They're not even talking about that. They're talking about murder. But that's basically what they're talking about is that we want police to be held to the rule of law in matters of life and death. And last but not least, let's get over this idea that it's a few bad apples and that the rest of them are good cops. As far as these good cops go, they say something, they stand up and, and try to do the right thing. They get fired on a routine basis or worse. Because if a cop knows that crimes are being committed and they are not speaking up, there's a word for that. It's called an accomplice. It's called being complicit. Complicit. And that is breaking the law. If you're wondering what one thing, what one issue to push for, personally, I'm not, I'm not an expert, but I would say getting rid of qualified immunity. That's that in that 1994 law. We've got to get rid of qualified immunity. We've got to not say that the police are above the law by default.
got to get rid of that. And we've got to get rid of the power of police benevolent associations. That should not have a place in how the police do their job. They should not be able to tell us whether or not police should be followed, whether they're always innocent without finding out the facts. We should suspend our judgment about whether someone is guilty of any crime, whether it's a police officer or a citizen who isn't a police officer until the preponderance of evidence can be looked at. That just has to be for everyone. Get rid of qualified immunity, period. I don't have to be anti-police in order to want the police to be held accountable to the rule of law. I saw a great meme the other day, the difference between being African-American or a person of color and being a police officer is that being a police officer is a job. You get to go home at night. Being a person of color is 24 seven. I have some people that I interact with on Facebook who happen to be relatives of mine who are very conservative uh, politically, conservative religiously, and are 100% followers of Trump and his administration. He can't do anything wrong. If they could have him as a king and he didn't have to go through an election, all the better. And I was reacting to one of the posts that my cousin made. And one of her friends said, well, these un-American socialists, communist Marxists, liberals are ruining the country and they want to take America away from us. And he kept on using this term un-American. They're the un-Americans. I cannot think of anything less American than what they're pushing for. You know, it's completely American to have, you know, the press checking things out and making sure things are working right and catching politicians when they do wrong things and catching police doing wrong things. That's a part of how we balance the power in our society. We get rid of the fourth estate, which is another term used for the press. Then we're in a sorry place. What is un-American? I'd love to wear that title if I thought that it described what I stand for. But looking back at the history of the country, it's not un-American to dissent. As a matter of fact, the whole country was formed in some form of dissent. And from the very beginning, there was dissent against the foundational sin of America, you know, slavery, chattel slavery. And I come from a long, long line, if not actually genetically, at least the ideologically, of people who be, have been standing up against the type of things that my cousin stands for. And if a, a person who is sitting at the, the head of the legislature, the, the Congress, doesn't recite the entire Pledge of Allegiance during the opening, then he is in some way breaking the law. It is fascinating that we have people who will say that a sitting congressperson who is in charge of opening and closing the session himself or herself or themselves is un-American. So I just wanted to talk a little about this concept of un-Americanism because it is clearly an attempt to dehumanize and vilify people who don't agree with them. And I don't have a problem with them believing what they believe, but 
it's pretty clear that what is American and what is un-American is clearly defined in the rights we have under the Constitution. And if you're not for backing the Constitution and not an individual president and not an individual ideology, then that it seems to me to be un-American. I heard that from uh, somebody close to me and I thought, well, no, I don't want America to fail. But then I thought, now, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, are, what do we mean when we talk about America? Do I want his America to fail? Well, let's look at what his America is. His America is an America where the police are not held accountable to the rule of law. Their America is the one where there's this war on drugs that's taking huge bites out of our civil rights every year. And we just gonna keep on going. Their America is where you can have unlimited spending. We spent a trillion dollars on two wars that we lost. The generals knew that the war in Afghanistan could absolutely not be won and they just lied. That's their America. A trillion dollars for war? But we're going to give children health insurance. We're gonna keep people from dying in medical po induced poverty and that's socialism. 80% of the stimulus money got taken by the major corporations and millionaires and billionaires, 80%. This is another huge wealth transfer up the pyramid. That's what the wars were. The wars were all about in Afghanistan and Iraq. That was all about money transferred up the pyramid. Halliburton was getting no bid contracts and families were having to buy bulletproof vests for their own loved ones who are on the front line. That tells you something about the priorities of the right-wing America. I, I watch a lot of television. I was brought up by television. I always say my second mom was my TV box. And at one point a TV broke and I, I wrote a poem to the death of my second mother. However, I often see commercials. Uh, and one of the commercials that I see that infuriates me is also about their America, the America that they are for. And it is the Wounded Warrior Project, which on face value, think what a great thing. We've got these warriors, they've fought for us. Thank you for your service. And then they come home and, and there's no social net for them. There's no mental health uh, for them. There's no jobs for them. If they're a wounded warrior, they have very little support. And they're commercializing this lack of social program. And let's just not even get into the absolute disgrace that the Veterans Administration is in just about all of its facets. And that, incidentally, is something that both parties are uh, full on into. Um, I want to just say that I'm no particular fan of either the Republican or the Democratic Party in terms of whose America is what. Neither one of these parties really represents what I believe in. 
because neither one of these parties has any problems with the current state of affairs. However, the Republican Party holds that a cabal of multi-billionaires running everything is actually what they're working for. Yeah. That's, that's trickle-down economics. That's not my America. That's no. not my America. If I look at the 12 humanist commitments, as we're, as we're now calling them, I would say that the thing that's needed by the people who are accusing me of being an un-American is a little humility to start with. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to our final topic for today. Global awareness, like being actually aware of what's really actually happening and not staying in your lane as far as your information stream and critical thinking. I mean, just not giving another person or empathy, not giving the other person the, the, the right to have an opinion that's different, that isn't in some way shattering the world. We started going to nuclear weapons on these discussions a long time ago, and we haven't stopped. And it, it doesn't bring us to a point where we can have discussions with anybody who we really disagree with. And that brings in the whole communication skills, right? How are we going to actually talk to, to this person and, and have a discussion about socialism is not all Soviet Union socialism. There are gradations and I wouldn't want to live in the Soviet Union for a number of reasons. So that brings us to the last point for today's broadcast, addiction to being right. We have a, yes. an epidemic of people insisting that they're right. It grows out of the tribal identity. If we look at the Ten Commitments, once again, no humility. If, you're, if you can't be wrong, if whatever you say is right by default, then you lack humility. You lack responsibility as a person to learn what's right what is actual and not just listen to the stuff that confirms your biases and obviously critical mm. thinking. You cannot be a critical thinker or thinker or skeptic, uh, a skeptical thinker at all. If you're addicted to being right. And I have been addicted to being right. This is one of the things, although I've never been a religious person very much, never been deeply religious, never been a part of a large religious movement. I have, been that guy who thought he was completely right and was addicted right. to it and couldn't be wrong. You did outgrow and unlearn your being right addiction. You did. I watched it happen over a course of decades. You did the work and you also grew naturally as a human being and you let that happen, which is very important aspect of what we're talking about here. You need space to let that growth happen. That's essential. The overwhelming majority of people in the world are not in any way assessing or critically analyzing what they believe. They believe what they believe as a token of tribal membership. You can't be a member of the tribe unless you believe A, B, C, and D are good. And 
E, F, G, H, and I are bad. Right. And if you don't believe all of these things, you're not one of us. That's a powerful instinct to have to go up against. Yeah. As a human being, we're a social species. Being thrown out of the tribe is death. Yeah. It's social death, if nothing else. Even if it's not physical death, even if you're just still going to be able to get food and water, you're going to lose all of these connections. The vast majority of people I have ever met, of course they think that they think for themselves. Who doesn't think that they think for themselves? That's like admitting to yourself that you have no sense of humor. Who's going to admit that? There's not a lot of the kind of maturity that goes into knowing that kind of thing about yourself. So if you're not going to know this about yourself, your group is telling you what to think. This took me a long time to understand too. The only reason I was ever able to see this was because I went through one of my exercises where I said to myself, okay, you don't want to do what your opponents do. And one of the things that my opponents do is they delegitimize my perspective, my ideas, because my ideas are different than theirs. And I went around delegitimizing the perspective of all of these people who couldn't think for themselves. Well, as it happens, not thinking for yourself is perfectly legitimate. There's nothing wrong with that. The only thing I would challenge is that you don't know this about yourself. Not being conscious of this is the problem. What you're doing in that case is, no, you're not thinking for yourself, but you're thinking as a part of a system. And that's actually very beautiful. That's actually a very adaptive thing for human beings to do. You have these different groups who are in competition with each other. They believe different things. And by means of competition, we find out as a species which beliefs work better. So this is actually, this is quite adaptive that all these people are not thinking for themselves. I've been talking about this for years with a uh, cohort of ours, uh, Toby. And over time, what we came to the conclusion of is, well, you know, there's just not that much of a need in any given group or tribe or social entity for people who can think for themselves. There's just not that much need. You just, you need a few of them around but everybody else needs to be thinking the same stuff in order for the group to function well. And given how much chaos there is, even when everybody's thinking the exact same thing, ah, I, I got to give it to them. They're, they're onto something. I wanted to bring up the book Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, a recently released book and discusses in depth a model for why people will do the most horrible things. 
she's looking at racism and the response of uh, white society um, to keep people of color out of schools and out of good jobs and out of good housing and the power that's created by doing things you would never imagine doing to your child unless you're a monster um, that we do to our fellow Americans in the name of belonging to this caste, uh, belonging to this group who have a, a very strict and straightforward ideology. Being an accepted member of that group is more important than following what you would consider to be your moral compass if you were dealing with your own individual loved ones, which is really the gold standard of how you treat someone. So I highly recommend uh, taking a look at this particular book and seeing what you think. The addiction to being right can only be defeated by having those difficult conversations. And that brings me just back to that communication bit that we are adding to the 10 commitments. And I want to highly recommend if you're interested in learning about how to have difficult conversations uh, with people you don't agree with, to look into the Peter Bogosian and James Lindsay book, How to Have Impossible Conversations. It's the handbook for street epistemology and one of the things that members of When Humans Attack will be doing in the next couple of months is going out and trying to do some street epistemology and find out how this actually works. Why are we railing against this addiction to being right or this inability to think for yourself? They're not the same thing, but they're very closely related. No. Because, well, the the environment has changed. The social environment has changed. Our species has changed. We're no longer a disparate, poorly connected network of tribes that are basically self-sufficient. That's why we're here promoting humanism because we think that of the available ideological toolboxes or whatever you want to call them that we know about, this is the best one that will make the best conditions for thriving for most people, including our opponents, by the way. Just because they're working against their own self-interests doesn't From our point mean, of view. Thank you. From our point of view doesn't mean that we want to delegitimize them yep. because I see conservatism and liberalism as a yin and a yang for many, many years. I would hope that trying to communicate with our opposition that your enemies can be frenemies if we can get that a point across to our opposition with, <laughs> with some humility and maybe most importantly with some humor, 
and stop attacking each other like a bunch of trained dogs fighting for crumbs and realign ourselves so that we can accomplish things like health insurance for everybody. Most of the people are not thriving under the current system. And there's no reason other than dogged determinism that, that this system is still being held in place. It's about how we think the world is put together. And that shadows or shades or colors the way that we perceive any action. When I take a look at the news and I see uh, the uh, murder of protesters in Kenosha, Wisconsin, I see that kid, that 17-year-old kid, as a criminal, and my cousin sees that kid as a hero. That cosmology is one of the things we've got to try to deconstruct where we're both coming from. No reason other than dogged determinism that, that this system is still being held in place. So I, I'll have those conversations and see if we can't get an agreement on what the cosmology is, even if it's a slight alignment. If we can both say that the world is at least the same in this particular bit, then maybe that'll open the door to agreeing on other things. I would have to cautiously agree with you. <laughs> well, then it's been an interesting afternoon and I want to thank everyone who's here watching for taking the time out to listen to us and our banter. You can get in touch with us through whenhumanistattack at gmail.com or go to our Patreon and our Discord. Leave comments below. Click and like. Click the bell. Make it happen. Yeah, we, uh, we read comments. Yeah, we read comments. And, um, Looking forward to seeing you next time, but I don't want to get off without thanking our technical crew. Thank you, Robin, for all the hard Robin. work you do. You make it all happen. We're just some talking heads. Until next time, this is Chris West West, the pontificator, and Vincent Downing, the self-proclaimed internet expert. Have a good rest of your day.